Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Week in IndyCar guest episode. IndyCar racing, it's, it's been a, a long-lost friend for most of the month. Nick Yeoman, we're getting ready, though you in particular in your IndyCar radio team, I think there's about 47,000 of you, by the way, but maybe you'll correct that, uh, that assumption. But y'all are getting ready here to head to Nashville, Street Racing, Music City Grand Prix, just around the corner in August. But I figure while we have this downtime of about a month, instead of bugging drivers and team owners and whatever to be on the show like we normally do, just wanted to highlight some friends that might not be, you know, the guests that we have every week, but ones who, like you, and like Akira Adams, who was on recently, and Tony Cotman, who was on recently, just bring some friends from the paddock on the show so they can get to know you a little bit more, appreciate who you are, ask some silly questions, and hopefully I won't tank your stock as a broadcaster by the time we're done here. How does that sound well, for an intro? Well, see, now I'm, I'm worried that uh, I don't know how I'm going to match your, your podcast ratings. When you're having guys like Newgarden and Hinchcliffe and Rossi on, I'm not sure folks are going to get nearly as excited to hear from old Nick Yeoman. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you. It's good to hear your voice, man. And, you know, last year and a half has just been so weird. I don't think we've seen each other in a while because uh, of everything going on. But uh, it is, it's good to be on the show, man. Well, thank you, brother. And, you know, you keep it up. Next thing you know, you're going to get an invite from Bruce Martin for his new podcast. And uh, you're going to be off and running, dude. You're going to be the bell of the ball. Let me say thank you very quickly to Cooper Tires. Hey, Road to Indy and Road Car Tires, they do great things. Most of all, those drivers you and I love, whether it's the young pups, the ones who develop like a new garden, for example, to become IndyCar champions, well, we say thank you to Cooper Tires for making that possible and powering the road to Indy with their products. The Justice Brothers, been part of my life, Nick, no joke, 1986, my first ever job in motor racing as a gopher on a equivalent of a road to Indy junior open wheel team. Their automotive lubricants and chemicals truly have been using since I was about a quarter the size that I am right now. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com they do all kinds of wacky fun stuff t-shirts models memorabilia uh just they're the best and they're canadian so they're nice and they smell like maple so those are the three partners we're going to say thanks to as you know this show it's a q a format all driven by our listeners stuff sent in off of the social medias still waiting for that first one nick to come in from myspace but i hold out hope for now though we're going to kick the show off with Mark Sanchez from Facebook, he says, what's the moment years ago when you're listening to the Indy 500, that one single call in a race that made you say, I will be one of those guys on the network someday, also says thanks to you for the great work you and the rest of the IndyCar radio team do in May and throughout the whole season. Well, I really appreciate that. Um, obviously, it, that's that's what makes this so much fun, is I know that, that race fans have been listen to the radio broadcast for so many years. I mean, the, the Indy 500 broadcast is just such a part of the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and then obviously with IndyCar. Uh, so I always appreciate that, that folks are tuning in. I wish I had some sort of unique uh, under-the-radar moment to answer that question, but the very obvious one is the 1992 call and listening to Bob Jenkins say little Al wins by just a few tenths of a second 
that was that was five years old at the time. And uh, of course, you know, from 92 to probably 2002, you would hear that call, you know, during every IndyCar broadcast on television or radio. Um, So the the drama of that moment of Scott Goodyear trying to run down little Al and then obviously coming up a little short, that was probably the one uh, that got me um, in terms of with the radio, uh, television as well, watching Paul Page and, and Bob Jenkins calling IndyCar NASCAR races as well. Uh, Eli Gold, a big fan of his, uh, and you know, calling NASCAR races for like TNN. So uh, a lot of lot of folks that that I've I've been influenced by. But if there was just one, I'd have to say that 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 '92 call probably stands above the rest in, in terms of what hooked me. Wow. Well, I love the nod to a beloved Bob. Obviously, he's someone who has been kept in uh, a lot of folks' prayers for a little while now with the medical challenges he has been dealing with. Paul Page, of course. I mean, if there's a a pantheon of goats, greatest of all times, is he the, the statue in the middle? Is he the greeter? I'm not sure where he falls in there, but he's in there. I love the nod to Eli Gold. And this is just a dumb little sidebar, but so associated, Nick, with his NASCAR work, college, right? College ball, huge thing that he's associated with. The thing off forgotten, I will admit, it was a little challenging to listen to. Eli Gold, Grand Am Ro- uh, Rolex Series announcer for many, many years, endurance sports car racing, this golden voice of his not necessarily knowing <laughs> what was going on what the cars were who were driving them uh pit stop strategy and this and that and the other we're gonna short fill here and we're gonna triple stint who what happened to a stint and why do they have three of like it wasn't the pure caramel flowing thing that you expect from Eli, but man, he never stopped trying. So, uh, love that. Love that nod. Why don't we go to a uh, Mike Jablo? And I'm sure this could probably fill out the rest of the show. Mike says, Nick, who have been your mentors in your broadcast career? Uh, I've got a bunch of them. That's for sure. Yeah, you could you could go on and on. Um, the, the first one for me and, and the guy that really helped me get the opportunity with the radio network was Mike King. Um, I, I was incredibly fortunate, and it's something I was – honestly, I, I felt guilty about it at first. Unlike a lot of guys in this business, I don't necessarily feel like I, I paid my dues and worked in local radio or in television for many years. I got the opportunity to join the network as a 21 year old kid, uh, fresh out of graduating from, from ball state. I had, I had met Mike King a couple of years before and it was kind of right place, right time. They were just losing Kevin Lee, who was going to take the opportunity to, to go to television, to join versus. And, uh, and, and one thing led to another, I reached out to Mike, you know, looking for some sort of internship or maybe just a job shadow to, to gain a little experience. And little did I know that they were going to be looking for a pit reporter. So Mike was, was very instrumental in, uh, in my opportunity, and I learned a lot from him. And then, honestly, it's it's just guys that I've worked with. I mean, Mark James, who are, is our current anchor, um, is, is like, I don't know if he's a second father or, uh, you know, the uncle I never wanted, but uh, just an unbelievable guy that's taught me a lot uh, just from a professional standpoint of, of how to approach broadcasting and, and working in the IndyCar paddock. I got lucky enough to work with Paul Page for a couple years when he came back to the radio booth, and uh, that was something I, I really cherished. 
Um, Doug Rice, the, the lead anchor for the Performance Racing Network on the NASCAR side with PRN calls about half of NASCAR races has become a really good friend and a mentor as well. So uh, lots of guys that I've been lucky to uh, to learn from from a very uh, start of my career. And, and, you know, broadcasting, it's not nobody's reinventing the wheel. Uh, you know, I, I, I won't sit here and say that I broadcast races, you know, in a truly unique style that is unlike anything else you, you just kind of pick and choose of, of what you like and what you learn from from everybody and kind of develop your own style and, and i've been very fortunate to learn from a lot of good ones over the years when you decide to uh, beatbox your play-by-play from whatever corner you're looking over like that's one of my favorite parts of the broadcast and kidding aside uh i'm glad you did not mention anders crone terrible human being <laughs> no talent i believe we can finally confirm dave first another horrible human being you guys actually paid indycar to hire him as the vp of comms to get him off the radio what a talentless hack uh kidding there by the way um, <laughs> you know interesting story about anders uh a couple years ago when he was in the booth with us uh doing you know the indycar radio broadcast for indycar and indy lights uh, i was sitting in the anchor's chair and i forget who i was working with i had one of the young up-and-comers that might have been like a kyle kirkwood or kyle kaiser in the booth with me and anders was off for an indy light show and I get done with the broadcast and I look down and all of a sudden I can't stand up because Anders had found a, a, a roll of duct tape, and <laughs> a pant leg of my uh, of my leg to the chair. And I'm so focused doing the broadcast, I didn't even notice. And then I stood up and I couldn't move. So, uh, no, Anders worked with us for, I think, uh, two years. And it was honestly one of the most fun two years that I've had with the network. I love, I mean, giving him a hard time is one of my joys in life. But that's just because he's such a great person. You know, I want to stay here for just a second, a little follow-up of my own. You've been fortunate, Nick, to be a part of the two most distinct recent eras of IndyCar radio, that being led by Mike King for a long time. Uh, when Mike moved on, uh, with Mark being promoted into that, that lead role, I mean, you know, Mark's known as the pros pro. I, we could, I could keep going on about just perfect choice to take the baton and, and continue leading uh, this group forward again from the broadcast side. Did you share some insights about this functionality, right? You know, whether it's having a Jake Query or a whomever else, you know, there's been a, a really great group, Davey Hamilton. There's a wonderful team of players. There's been some evolution of who's on the team from one era to the next. But what are some in, some insights you can share about some of the differences uh, from the King era to the Jane's era, if you want to call it that, because the product has maintained the same high level. But as you know, like an IndyCar team, swap out a driver, swap out an engineer, always going to be some chemistry evolutions required to stay at that high level. Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing. You know, you mentioned how, you know, how many different guys, how many different voices you'll hear throughout the course of the year because due to schedules and, and availability, we obviously rotate in a lot of guys in terms of, you know, working the pits and uh, and different guys that are available. But we do have kind of that core with with Mark James, myself, Jay Query. Dave First was a part of that for many years. Michael Young, a uh, little track dude. He's, he's been with of us course. for many years Of course, what, well. Ryan Marine, I think? Yeah, uh, Ryan, Ryan's been... Ryan's been a super great pickup over the last couple of years. I mean, his career's really taken off. That guy is smooth as, but his vocabulary 
is so incredible because, you know, I, I'm from Indiana, Mark's from Indiana, and, and listen, we'll, we'll throw around the y'alls in the, the Indiana dialect every once in a while. Ryan sounds like he's straight out of, you know, Harvard Law. He is, uh, he's incredibly smooth. Him good at words. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the requirement, and sometimes I struggle with it. I'll be honest with you, but Ryan's really good. But, um, I mean, that's kind of the cool thing is, is we do. We have, uh, you know, a sense of, of camaraderie and some continuity that I think has really paid off. I mean, I, I think back to the Indianapolis 500 just this past May, and out in the turns, I'm in turn one, Michael Young's in turn two, Jay Quarry's in turn three, and then Kristen Airy, the television voice of the Indiana Pacers, is in turn four, and I am still the guy with the fewest amount of Indy 500 broadcasts under my belt, and this was my 12th. So when you've got the same guys working with each other year after year, it's uh, it's, it's easy to kind of, one, get on the same page, and, and two, you know, we all establish a certain style that you mentioned that, that IndyCar Radio is known for, that edge of your seat. If it's a nine-second lead for Scott Dixon at Mid-Ohio, uh, we're going to find that battle for third that's only three seconds, and we're going to make it sound like it's a darn good race. It's that edge-of-the-seat feel that a lot of people enjoy listening to. And that's where, you know, an era between Mike King and, and Mark James, I think, is very similar in terms of how the races sound. Um, from a structure standpoint, I don't want to get too inside baseball. I don't know how much interest this, this has. Brother, we're here talking about whatever we want. Uh, look, <laughs> I don't get paid per minute. Like, look, we just do whatever we want. It's our show. We make it up. Yeah. The, the one, the biggest difference of, of working with Mark compared to Mike, Mark's, his pre-race show, everything is very structured with, with the way Mark does things. And um, it, it flows very smoothly. And, and Mike's was a little more free-flowing. Um, he used the driver analyst, I think, a little bit more than maybe Mark does. Um, but it's it's one of those things that, man, there's there's a hundred different ways to skin a cat and the evolution of, of, of broadcasting races. I don't think there's necessarily a, a right or wrong way to do it. But uh, but painting the picture is what it's all about. And, and yeah, it, it's it's about maintaining that IndyCar radio style and feel that, uh, that I think our listeners are used to hearing. Our cats, Rocky and Rosie, who frequently intrude on my podcasting, just ran out of the room in sheer terror after that little uh, skinning reference. But, hey, it's all good. Uh, why don't we move to our pal Brian Lautzenheiser, who says, first of all, Nick, amazing call on Elio's winning pass this year. And, yeah, got to say, man, uh, in terms of killing it, you killed it. Uh, he asks, do you have a favorite moment in broadcasting? That one probably shot to the top. I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, having 12, 12 now Indy 500s under my belt, I didn't want to be like too much of a, a prisoner of the moment. But I kind of knew like right after that race, like, all right, this is one I think we're all going to remember and be talking about for a very, very long time. So um, that one's way up there. And, and that was, you know, the, the, the call of the pass for the lead with two laps to go was, was honestly, for me, just kind of a nod to the, the, the long diehard fans of IndyCar racing. It was a simple call where I just said Foyt, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castro Neves. And you could hear the fans roar in the background of that call as Elio took the lead with two laps to go. So uh, I know on radio, when you're broadcasting to a national audience, you're looking more to, to do play-by-play -play and describe the action and tell the listener what's going on. But I had a hard time not being caught up in that moment and saying, this one's for the folks that understand the history of the Indianapolis 500 and knew what was very possible about to happen. So uh, that one's way up there. We've had some incredible calls. 
watching Alexander Rossi uh, win the 100th Indianapolis 500 and, and making it work on fuel mileage was pretty amazing. And honestly, a couple races that are under the radar, being the anchor marshal for, for the last two, three, four Freedom 100s, rest in peace, sadly, uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, has just been an unbelievable thrill. I mean, the, the lights drivers have put on such an incredible race at uh, at ims so there's there's a lot of them that are way up there most of them though i'll be honest with you happen right there at 16th of georgetown mm. uh, maybe we just need on carb day you and i need to go somehow hijack uh the complete audio solution for the speedway and play some of your freedom 100 uh you know if we can't have them live maybe we can somehow hijack the studio and make sure that we play some of the old great great broadcasts there uh let's see here's a fun one jordan darwin thanks again for sending this in jordan he says nick if you could call any indycar race in history what race would you pick why and where would you call it from that's a great one i get that every now and then from folks like is there a race in history you could cover and i'm like first of all time machine technology still waiting on it but if i could Yes, I would spend the rest of my life probably going back in time. What about you? Any any standout is like, okay, get me that time machine and off I go. Man, that's uh, that's a fantastic question. I, I, you know, one of the choices that comes to mind is the '82 race. Um, you know, watching watching John Cock and Mears duel at the end. But I'll go back even further. You know, obviously, there's not a ton of video footage. You know, you've got the radio broadcasts of it, and, and the stories told. But that 1960 Indianapolis 500 that came down to Roger Ward and and Jim Rathman trading the lead multiple times is, is one that is is way up there that I would have loved to have been a part of. Um, so so that was pretty high on the list. And then honestly, man, I, I'm I'm a sucker for for some of those early IRL shows that that you know listening to Mike King and Mark James call the side by side pack racing, which you know looking back at it now, I think we all kind of watch. Uh, in between our fingers. I mean, I know a lot of people did then too. Oh, uh, but, but in terms yeah, of brutal. But in terms of calling the race itself, I mean, Mark Mark told me he said there were times where he was flat mentally worn out after calling a race at Texas or Chicago Land, watching those guys go side by side, lap after lap. So uh, that is one where I would love to have gotten a chance to uh, to call that style of racing. Knowing what we know, I think we're probably better off not having much of that anymore. But, uh, boy, it's hard to argue that that wasn't still edge-of-your-seat excitement and uh, and worth watching or listening to. Surprise! you didn't say 81. So that way you could have months and months of follow-up work as it turned into a huge legal battle as well. Uh, let's see, where shall we go? go nick uh all right steven kills donk we asking for a little more uh maybe crone-esque stories asks if you could share a fun off story air from your time on the radio network what do you guys like to do and i know the answer to that because i've seen your your great posts from hey we're at mid ohio we're gonna go to the shawshank prison <laughs> or hey we're here we're gonna go there but maybe share if you could whether it's a story or just some of the general spirit behind uh, what y'all do because y'all get to a track and don't just bury yourself in for a few days we, we, we do and that's you know that's the advantage i know for for the you know the print journalists for like you guys your, your work really begins 
once track activity ends, right, in terms of gathering those interviews and, and doing the write-ups and making sure you're, you're edited and posted online. The good news about what we do is, man, once once the practice session or qualifying ends for the day, technically we're done. Happy and, hour, and, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, but you know, it, it, rather than, than pony up to a bar somewhere, like, uh, I'll be honest with you, quite a few people in the television compound like to do. I'm not judging. Never heard uh, that Mark, before. Total, total Mark, slander and smear. <laughs> uh mark and and jake and and dave first and i we've always enjoyed going out i mean listen we we it's an unbelievably cool gig that we're very fortunate and lucky to have to get to travel uh you know pre-pandemic to a lot of these really cool places why not go out and explore and and see what's what's out and about and around the town so uh jake query is is the world's greatest tour guide because he knows a little bit about everything which is is hard to believe maybe maybe less so if you meet jake and and uh, so yeah i mean we've gone to new york city and we walk across the golden gate bridge and we ended up at the hollywood forever cemetery with stories you know that we'll we'll share forever jake and i took a trip uh, hitting the hot spots for for one Jeffrey Dahmer in Milwaukee one <laughs> night because we're weird sadistic creeps. So uh, yeah, man, the it, Dahmer's it's Greatest Hits it. Tour featuring <laughs> Yeoman and all right, Jake scares us a little bit. Uh, <laughs> just don't look in the backyard for any uh, fresh sod being put on top of anything. But wow, you guys are silly. Yeah, we, we but we enjoy it, man. We we try to get out there and uh, and, and check out the the surrounding areas. Well, that that is that is truly awesome. Uh, let's see, where else should we go? Uh, Caleb Whistler talking about uh, multifaceted talent. Asked, "What is it like bouncing between IndyCar with IndyCar Radio, doing work on the NASCAR side with the Performance Racing Network?" Asks if you adjust how you call either form of racing when you're doing it. Yeah, I mean you have to. Uh, I mean, based, purely based on the speed difference, and it's it is a challenge, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, the hardest thing for me is on the NASCAR side, and you see it, you know, more and more in IndyCar as well. Uh, the, the years of like one full time sponsor and one livery or paint scheme for the entire course of the season, those days are long gone. So. Uh, when I show up, you know, I, a week after calling the Indianapolis 500, I flew out and got to work the NASCAR race at Sonoma, and I had to walk up and down pit lane because all those cars don't look the same as I saw on television, you know, a week or two prior. So I uh, got to study up there. And then, yeah, in terms of, of the broadcast call itself, man, I, you go from, you know, the Indianapolis 500 where when Mark James drops him to me in turn one, I get about an eight or nine second call through the first corner and then by the time they're leaving the short shoot in between one and two i got to get it to michael young it's it's like throwing the baseball around in the backyard and playing hot potato it's it's you got to get it off to the next announcer and then i go out to sonoma and and i see the stock cars kind of lumbering around there and all of a sudden i've got a 35 second call uh calling calling them through the carousel there at sonoma and back up the drag strip so uh definitely a, a bit of a style change but that's the kind of kind of a challenge that i i kind of like i mean just like how i think the indycar drivers really embrace the fact that you know they'll go race on a short oval and a street circuit and a super speedway i, I kind of get a kick out of you know in, in my own right it's not doing 220 and putting my butt on the line but uh, having to make those adjustments and in terms of calling different racetracks and race cars is, is something I really get a kick out of. Next one I love comes in from our pal Grant Stouter. I have visions of you with this question, like 
sitting in some form of yoga pose, totally just blissed out, uh, looking, you know, doing your, your yoga routine. Nick, how do you keep your voice fresh for a three-hour event when you're typically screaming at the top of your lungs in excitement? I can see folks fanning you, bringing you little lemon honey tea and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> is there a super top secret? Do you, is, do you put some sort of ointment uh, on your neck that seeps through and just keeps those beautiful pipes working? So we got we to tell Grant, how do you make the magic? That is that is a fabulous question. I like it. <laughs> First of all, Marshall, you know I'm a big guy like yourself. There's no way in hell I'm doing any yoga poses or downward dog. I'm mean, just I'm trying to paint a like you said, I'm trying to paint a picture here. Yeah, I just fall in my head and have a concussion. So I, I hear yeah. what you're saying. Some of those poses, if I get down in them, I'm not getting back out of them. But uh, yeah, no, I, I wish I could say that like up in the uh, the basket and turn one at the speedway. Uh, you know, that I've got a cooler and I've got a, you know, a, a reclining leather chair that I can stay nice and comfortable, but no, it's, it's, uh, I don't eat a lot of times before broadcasts. I, I found sometimes, you know, you load up on food or carbs. Sometimes I'll feel a little sluggish, so I don't oh, eat yeah. a whole lot, but in terms of, of, you know, throat lozenges or, you know, some guys like to lean on coffee cause it'll, it'll drop the, the, the voice, you know, a half, half an octave or so, but no, I, I really don't have any. Uh, any tips or tricks? So I've been pretty fortunate. And the nice thing is, you know, I'm not I'm not anchoring IndyCar races. Like Mark's the one I worry about because he's the anchor, so he's talking the most. And over the course of a three and a half, four hour, you know, 500 mile race, I worry about him out in the turns or when I'm, you know, pit reporting and interviewing drivers. Thankfully, I'm not talking that much. I'm not getting paid by the by the words. So uh, it's I, I haven't. I don't, and also I'm, I'm young, so I've, I've also I haven't really run into having problems of. Uh, you know, preserving the voice. So uh, knock on wood that that won't ever be a problem. Pack of Marlboro Reds and I'll be ready. <laughs> yeah, we'll, right? uh, we'll go ahead and not do that, boys and girls. Uh, all right, got a couple questions here to close the show. One of them is is full uh, cheekiness from uh, the little Prude listener group here. Uh, this comes in from Ryan Terpstra. It says, Nick is a broadcaster. How helpful were the LED panels to following the action in front of you when you were situated at a specific part of the track. And he asks that because one of the running jokes, and there's truth to it. I would spend, Miller would spend, Nick, whatever time working on some sort of in-depth story, an analysis piece, big breaking news related to IndyCar, something where you're thinking in terms of traffic, in terms of reach. Wow, this is going to be a monster. End of the month, we'd get the top 10 report for IndyCar section, sports car, all the different sections. And as long as we had the LED panels on the car, a stupid little 150-word throwaway thing I would write, hey, IndyCar's thinking about changing the software they're using with the LED panels. P1 welded to the first spot, destroys every other story, any of us wrote about IndyCar, no matter what, to the point that it became a running joke inside Racer, like, hey, if we ever need some traffic, could you knock out something about an LED panel? So he's taking a, a little bit of a, a jab here, having some fun, but I guess there is merit to the question, do the LED panels ever do anything for you as a broadcaster to help you do your job? Well, well, let me ask you first. Now, with the, the increase in traffic, is that because these things are overwhelmingly positive? 
and well taken from fans or did fans not like them? I'd say it was a, a solid 50, 50. So there okay. was a, a serious love hate component here, but it, for the first two years, maybe the led panels were pretty basic worked more or less all the time. No issues, not a lot to write about the minute they changed to another vendor. Oh boy. Uh, it was straight up Sanford and son, uh, type issues here of quality. And this, like they became a real issue, whether it's, Hey, that's a beautiful Armenian flag being displayed on James Hinchcliffe's car. Okay. Or whatever else. And just became this kind of hapless thing. And so I think it's from there of the seriously guys, led panels, the lowest tech thing on the cars and you can't get them right. I think there was something there. So whenever an LED story went up, it was kind of the, well, let's go read the latest type thing. And it became a thing. But anyways, uh, all that's meaningless in the scope of the world. But there was truly a point in time. I even asked Jay sometimes. I'm like, brother, please tell me LED panels are coming back for the next car. I'm going to be the traffic king at Racer every <laughs> month. And he, he says he's thinking about it just for me. But anyways. Well, well did- I hope they do. I, for one, hope they do. I was a huge fan of them. And I'll be honest with you. Quick story. Those things saved my butt. Uh, calling the 2016 Indianapolis 500, the really? one that's running at the Indy 500, um, because the worst case scenario, and, and you can ask anyone that does television or, or radio, the hardest thing, hardest race to call is a fuel mileage race. You give me an Elio Castroneves, Alex Pillow duel at the finish, I'd call the hell out of that. And, and Lee Diffie on television can as well. And, and those are easy to call because everyone knows what's going on. When you've got a fuel mileage race, of course, everyone in the grandstands, everyone listening on radio, everyone sitting in their living room watching on television, they don't know what's going on. They don't know the strategy everyone's going on. So it becomes the broadcaster's responsibility, the pit reporters, to gather the information of who's going long or who you know needs to save, the, the driver analyst crunching the numbers and doing math. And then when old Nick Yeoman's out in turn two that year for the Indy 500, all I have is my eyes. I'm just watching the race. So in the closing laps, when we knew, all right, Alexander Rossi is close on fuel, and it looks like if he's going to run out, it's probably going to happen on the last lap. I consciously made the decision. I went, I watched every single car come by because I had to know with two laps to go, okay, who's running second and third? Um, and, and it was Joseph Newgarden and Carlos Munoz at the time because if Alexander Rossi sputters on that last lap and the turn announcers don't have a clue who's passing him, whether it's for the lead on the final lap of the 100th Indianapolis 500, all of a sudden you you sound like a bunch of clowns. So thankfully we were all able to identify and and know that, man, if Rossi would have ran out, we could have picked up that battle. And I used those LED boards, two and the three on the side of of Munoz's new gardens car uh, to know who's who, because, you know, I mean, strung out races when, when it's fuel mileage, there are cars on the lead lap. There's cars two laps down. There's cars going 220. There's cars going 170. It's super hard to follow. So long story short, I am a huge proponent of the LED boards, and I'm right there with you. I'll fire off that email to Jay Fry and See? say, hey, where, where are they? We need to bring them back. I think they're great for the fans, especially at the racetrack. Some of those road course races when, you know, you don't, you can't see all the racetrack. Man, I think they're great, and I, I love that IMSA's used them, and I, I hope IndyCar can find a way uh, here in the next couple of years to bring those things back. I was going to say, I was going to send a note to Jay. 
uh, telling him that you and I are going to go on a hunger strike till they come back, but I don't think they believe yeah. you and I would miss it, a dang meal. So he'll say, uh, he'll say boy, that's going to be a, a really dangerous three hours. Yes, boy. yes. Oh boy, and no drinking hot sauce doesn't qualify as still being on a hunger strike. Uh, he Jay actually sent me again because this is such a running joke. He actually sent me as a gift uh, an LED panel like encased in a little shadow box and you can plug it in and it turns on. It's the funniest thing, man. I, I love me some J fry. All right, let's get down to uh, two final questions. One serious, one a little bit silly. And I do appreciate John J cook who sent this in on Twitter. Cause he doesn't just want you to be the guy calling what you see, but to share some thoughts. And for those who don't already follow you, please share your Twitter handle because seriously, Although, as you said, I haven't gotten to see you in person for a while. Man, your Twitter feed is just a great thing to follow. You take no biz guff from anybody. Uh, you stand up for what you believe. You share hilarious insights. So if you can, uh, share that handle here, and we'll hopefully get some more uh, folks paying attention to what you do. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. The, the, the Twitter handle is nyoman, N-Y-E-O-M-A-N. And I'm not for everybody. I, I will admit that I'm I'm not a robot who just simply spits out, you know, tweets about IndyCar. I maybe maybe I should, but I, I'm you know I'm a human being, so I like to tweet about what I like to tweet about. So it's a lot of football in the fall, lots of racing during the summer, and uh, just hilarious, stupid, odd stuff that that trips my trigger in my brain. I'll usually tweet about it. So. Uh, I hope that I'm a unique follow it. You know, nobody's making money off of Twitter, but uh, yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. If, if people want to follow me, then uh, it's always, always cool. So John is wanting to get some insights from you. Says, Nick, what do you see as the primary driver of growth, bringing new fans to the sport? Any things within IndyCar where you think might be holding it back a little bit? Uh, and I'll add a couple more of the questions here. So this is normal the stuff. I run my gums about, I am so happy to pass on uh, that opportunity to you. What do you think there? Uh, a wise one from atop many motor racing circuits. Uh, what's making things so good this year? There are some other things untapped you think that we might improve. I, I think growth, like anything, it's it's multifaceted, right? I think there's a lot of different reasons that, uh, and I think we all kind of feel it. We, we, we all kind of feel it that, yeah, it's it's no longer just baby steps like, yeah, there's there's some legit momentum to IndyCar. And I think a lot of people are getting interested. Um, I, I think the television contract with NBC, and I, you know, them re-upping is 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 great for the sport. I mean, 13 races on on network television. It's hard to argue with that. Even even on the radio side, it's good for business. And and I feel like NBC's promoted the sport. So that's helped the growth. I think this this new influx of, of young drivers understanding how social media works and how to interact with fans. You know, you, you can't go to an NFL game and, and walk down and get Tom Brady's autograph or interact with, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo on, on, on social media, but these younger IndyCar drivers, and even some of the older ones have adapted as well, understand how they got to market themselves, interact, build fan bases and promote the sport. So that's been big. Um, I, I think, I think, you know, one that's kind of underrated is is the revitalization, if you can call it that, of the Indianapolis 500, really since the the, the merger of, of IndyCar and Champ Car, since reunification. You've kind of felt this thing continue to grow, and the DW12 putting on incredible races with 40, 50, 60 lead changes. And then I think the biggest one, and perhaps the most recent reason for growth, is, is the very obvious one of drivers from outside series taking interest 
in IndyCar. Obviously, this rookie class with, with Scott McLaughlin, yeah, there's a lot of folks that are V8 Supercar fans that have their eyes on IndyCar. A lot of NASCAR fans that followed seven-time champ Jimmy Johnson, and if it's cool enough for Jimmy Johnson to check out IndyCar, they are as well. And then obviously with Roman Grosjean, and it, and it really dates back to the buzz that Fernando Alonso created uh, coming to the Indy 500 a few years ago. So I, I just feel like all these other drivers from series checking out IndyCar has raised this level of awareness. So uh, multifaceted reason that I think you're seeing growth in terms of, of you know, concerns and, and what maybe they need to work on. I'm always concerned, and this is going to cut deep to you, my friend, because I know you're a technical guy with your engineering background. I worry about, you know, Generation Z, the 20-year-old fans, the new fans. I wonder how much they care in terms of having an infatuation with the automobile. I mean, that's not to say there's always going to be car culture, right? Like everyone's going to think cars are cool, but I often worry about the younger generation. How much will they care about downforce levels and, and you know, all the technical aspects that go into the engine. So that's something that, you know, making that cool and appealing is something that I think we can all work on and, and IndyCar can kind of push. But uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of, lots of reasons that I think a lot of people are, are kind of feeling the IndyCar momentum. Our footballs are sexy. Like that's the thing that gets a little bit hard to your point to convey. Like, yeah. Hey, you're a fan of football. Cool. Anyone talk about the equipment that gets used? Not really, unless it's uh, my man from my hometown, uh, Tom Brady, possibly underinflating um, the key <laughs> item. But other than that, again, for the most part, you don't see a lot of chatter about cleat technology. Oh, what kind of towel is being used to dry their foreheads between plays? Uh, the laces on, like, you just don't hear that. So in our sport where... You can certainly enjoy the colors and the speed and the, the names and what, like, it does help if you want to dig deeper and the more you understand about the car side, the more you can unlock about it. But it's a, to your exact point, it's always been a challenge. Racing and loving racing and really getting everything out of it that there is, I've always equated it, Nick, to jazz music. No yeah. one can just listen to jazz and get it. You have to invest time to understand the structure, the why this person is improvising and this person is not and how things pass. Like, it's so complex that to appreciate it, you have to invest time compared to, I turned on the TV, someone's bouncing a ball and they threw it up in the air and it went into a little hoop. Fun! It's a, it's a commitment if you want to get the most out of it. And... I'm with you. Uh, there's a reason that where I used to crank out a lot of technical videos, stories, whatever. Yeah, that, that slowed down quite a bit in the last couple of years, and it's not by coincidence. So I'm with you. I just hope the next car, whenever it gets here, looks amazing. So that even if the average Generation Z or, I don't do we wind it around to A? I don't know what happens. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, so what happens um, when we reach the end of the alphabet? I just hope that whatever it is, even if the next generation audience is not enamored by the technical aspects of uh, motor racing vehicles, it looks so amazing that anyone would go, I don't know what the heck that is, but I got to watch it. So that's my hope at least. And then maybe I can write some technical stuff and they'll care a little bit more about what's beneath the skin. Why don't we, uh, on that topic, why don't we close the show? A little bit of a, uh, a Homer one here. This coming back again from our pal Jordan Darwin. It says, Nick, have you asked David Letterman 
as my voice cracks for no particular reason. Have you asked David Letterman to let one of his drivers run one of his Indy cars around Ball State? Says you could sneak Robin Miller back on campus if it happens. Ball State's most famous failure, uh, the amazing Robin Miller. What do you think? I mean, look, no disrespect to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No disrespect to the Harvest Grand Prix or whatever we want to call the second Indy road course race. If we're being honest, not a lot of drivers and teams get up for that. Like, oh, I cannot wait. And Nashville, psh, who cares? We're just looking on the other side because we can't wait to do a second Indy road course race. I love the idea of the Ball State Grand Prix. How do we make that happen? Oh, so so you're taking it a step further. You want to see a race there. I I, I thought we were just going to do an exhibition of Graham Rahal buzzing through campus. That's so what Jordan's gonna... suggesting. We're just going, no, we're going full bore here. <laughs> Robin Miller as both the Grand Marshal, uh, PA announcer, and, I don't know, official eater of pork tenderloins, something like that. I mean, this could be a thing, especially if you got Dave there. Oh, I love the idea. It's I, I it's bad, too. but I love it. I like it too. No, I um, it, it's it's cool. I mean, David Letterman being a Ball State guy and then getting involved with IndyCar and, and the parallels of, of how I've looked at myself is, is is super cool. I've always really enjoyed that angle. I'm not sure how I feel about our boy Robin being on the PA. Uh, I, I'm afraid what might come out across the the, the airwaves. That is there saying, a permanent seven second delay? So he would be I announcing it, but you'd never hear a word out of fear. We, when you're on the loudspeakers, I'm not sure there is, brother. That that is uh, that's a little scary. But no, I, I like it. I like it. No, Dave is. Uh, in fact, I owe a lot to David Letterman. He he donated a bunch of money to Ball State to kind of uh, redo their their communication program and and completely redid the radio station where I got to work and call Ball State football games from. So uh, Dave's been he's been uh, quite a quite a guy that, that's had an impact on on my career. But I, I like that idea, man. I can I can start mapping out a course. Uh, around, you know, McGalliard and McGilver. Yeah, we can make that happen. The Ball State Grand Prix uh, with Robin Miller on the mic. That is a terrifying idea, but uh, I, I like I like where your uh, your followers' heads at. One and done. The Ball State Grand Prix yeah. uh, with Miller's involvement. It'll become, I think, the 49th failed street race in any car history. <laughs> but, hey, we're just trying to get to 50, man. That's all we care about here. Nick, you're a gem. You know how much I appreciate you, your entire IndyCar radio team. Just, again, uh, one of the good ones here. If you all get a chance, if you aren't already, at N Yeoman on the tweeters, and uh, you're probably going to have some fun. You might get blocked by some of them too, Nick. Again, you're your own man. You say what you say, but that's what I appreciate. You're not vanilla and towing any lines. So thanks for taking some time here, man. Really appreciate you. Hopefully we'll uh, get to do this sometime again in the near future. I appreciate it, Marshall. I miss your face. I can't wait to see you back at the racetrack. And uh, and all the best, not only to you, but to your wife and our buddy Robin. I know they're both both going through some stuff. Been thinking about you all a bunch. So uh, thanks so much for having me on the show, man, and, and look forward to seeing you soon.